0: Welcome fellow entrepreneurs to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, where we talk about Amazon Wholesale and how you can use it to build an e-commerce empire, a side hustle, or anything in between. And now, your host, Todd Welch. Probably one of the big things that people have been talking about lately as people start posting their questions is the buy box issue. Uh, Some of you out there probably have been having that issue where as of this last month, some people's sales have just like dropped off the face of the planet and gone to zero in a lot of cases. My sales personally have been up. So, you know, it's been okay for me, but some people have just seen a complete drop off in sales. And it's been going around if that's a bug because Amazon is messing up, you know, they're not rotating the buy box is what's happening. People are getting stuck in the buy box. And so that is causing some people to lose a lot of sales, and it's really kind of scary because people are like, should I send anything else in? I don't know. I'm not getting any sales. What's going on? Um, The new thought now is that it's maybe not a bug. It could be a feature. Uh, Larry Lebowski over at Watch Me Amazon was talking about this today. And uh, it could be a feature that maybe Amazon is trying to clear out warehouses that are overstocked. So they're just selling sellers who have stock in there. Or maybe it is they're focusing on sellers with a lot of positive feedback rating so that they can make sure that they're getting good products, something like that. It's it's uh, kind of going back and forth, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. So. Let me know if anybody's had problems with that at all. and We can dive into that a little bit more, but it's definitely been an interesting time. Uh, we're during the pandemic, things have been crazy. A lot of weird things have been happening. So hopefully this will go back to normal, but it's hard to say here. So let's see. We got some questions rolling in. Um, Legendary Econ Leads asks, "How long have you been doing wholesale?" Uh, let's see I think since 2015 is when I officially started doing wholesale Uh, more seriously 2016 2017 uh, when I really started getting into it here Uh, let's see Al says you are awesome appreciate that Al you are awesome as well Um, Oscar how do you ship pallets from a residential address so I have a warehouse now so I don't have to deal with that anymore but before I got the warehouse I was shipping out of my garage and basically I was doing it the same as I'm shipping out of the warehouse now a lot of it was you know UPS so UPS would pick up that Um, but I shipped pallets as well and the semi pulled up to the house and we loaded the pallet onto the uh truck usually they'll have a pallet jack and everything and they just took it from there so you know, I've been lucky. I've been in areas where they didn't get upset about that. Uh, they didn't have issues. So it's going to depend where you live. If you live in a more urban area, you're probably going to have more troubles than people living in a more suburban or country area where there's less, you know, those type of people who are like, eh, they get bothered by everything. Um, so it's going to depend where you live. But pretty much the same as what I'm doing now. Just schedule it and send it out. You know, if you live in a big city like Los Angeles and New York, it's probably going to be a little bit harder. You're going to have to stick to maybe UPS and stuff like that unless you have a garage or something. Um, But if you're in those big cities, it's going to be less likely that you're going to have that garage. So um, basically just the same for me, though. Um, I don't have experience though in a big city, so it could be different where you where depending on where you live. All right. Let's see. Kelvin Young hi todd i was wondering what happens to sellers that have an ipi score under the 50 threshold for fourth quarter yeah so that's something new um if you haven't heard amazon is basically going to be limiting your stock if you have an ipi score Um, and that is your inventory performance index is what that stands for inventory performance index So everybody has a score, depending on how well you're managing your inventory, and that has to do with um, not having too much stock in Amazon, not having too many products out of stock as well. And if that score falls below 500, then your ability to bring stock into Amazon is going to be severely limited. Uh, So that's the main thing that's going to happen. So you're going to definitely want to get your IPI score above the 500. And there's a few different ways you can do that. You can use the free removals they have right now to get old stock out of there. That's going to help. If you have listings that are out of stock and you're not planning on getting them back into stock or even temporarily, you can go in there into your uh, performance section and remove them from the restock list. Um, So there's a little drop down. you can remove them and then go into your inventory and disable that listing. And from what I understand, that then Amazon doesn't count that against your IPI score as a product that's out of stock and that you should be restocking. Um, So that's one way you can get that up before the cutoff here, which is, I believe, maybe tomorrow, beginning of August. So you're going to want to do that right now uh, if that is an issue for you. Uh, but basically, there's going to limit your ability to send in product because you're not managing your inventory very well. Uh, Carlos says Hey, Todd, would it be a good idea to open a small brick and mortar storefront to increase chances of opening wholesale accounts that otherwise wouldn't be possible? Um, so I wouldn't do it only for the reason to open up accounts. If you can open up a storefront and maybe combine it with your warehouse and you're gonna actually try to make the storefront profitable, then that might be a good idea. Or maybe you already have a warehouse and you can turn it into a storefront successfully. That would be a good idea Um, to open one only for the fact to open more accounts. I don't know if that would be the best idea. You're gonna wanna try to make it profitable you know, profitable retail business of some kind. Um, So I wouldn't recommend doing it just for that. But if it makes sense, like if you're in a specific niche, like I tell you guys, I'm in the sporting goods all the time. So if I opened up a sporting goods store, and like the front, maybe 1000 square feet, I made that a store, and then I have another couple thousand square feet or another 1,500 square feet behind that that I can use as my warehouse, you know, that would make sense because I'm carrying a lot of sporting good products, so I can put some of those out in the store, uh, advertise that storefront, try to get some traffic and stuff like that, and make sales there. But you got to keep in mind uh, that a lot of times they're going to check up on that storefront. And make sure it's a legitimate business. So you're going to have to have business hours. You're going to have to some, have someone there manning the store, uh, selling products. It's going to have to look like a real store. So you can't just you know get an address and then not actually have a store, but say it's your store. So keep that in mind. Um, it's something that I'm looking at for the future. Uh, if I can have a storefront inexpensively in addition to the warehouse, it would make sense for me to do that. Uh, But otherwise, I'm not sure if it would make sense just for the fact to open up accounts that you can't open up. Uh, I think that's going to be changing more, right, especially with this pandemic. Um, Everything's going online. So these businesses that are relying on brick and mortar stores heavily, they're going to be hurting and they're going to want to go online. So hopefully more of that will loosen up for us and more of us will be able to buy without a brick and mortar store, but we'll see what happens. All right, let's see. Timothy asks, can you explain the buy box? There are times when I'm amazed that sellers are in the buy box. I'm always getting undercut too at prices that I don't even understand how they are making money. So yeah, the the buy box is basically... When you're going to an Amazon listing, the person that it shows that is getting the sale. Sometimes it's Amazon, sometimes it's someone else. Whoever has the buy box is the person that's listed there underneath the price, usually. It'll say, like, um, sold by XYZ, fulfilled by Amazon, right? That's the person in the buy box. And Amazon typically rotates that, but like I was saying in the beginning right now, there is a either a feature or a bug that is causing that buy box to get stuck. And we all compete for that buy box. And sometimes, yes, you get those people who are undercutting you on price and driving down the price. And I've also seen it, you know, wondering why or how is that person making money? And it all depends uh, because their business model might be different for one. So if you look at big businesses like eTails or River Trading Colony, they are going for velocity and trying to sell a ton of product. And they're okay with getting 10% or 15% uh, ROI on those product sales. So they are going down because they're selling hundreds of millions of dollars per year. 10% on $100 is $10 million in profit. So they're okay with doing that. And that's their business model that they're going after. Um, Other people, it might be that they're getting a better price than you. Um, That is the name of the game in wholesale is making your money on the buy side, right? When you're buying, that is where you're getting... Your profit. You need to make sure that you're getting the best discount possible. Uh, you're probably not going to necessarily get the best discount up front. So sometimes you might have to take a little lower ROI and build up that uh, account that you have open to get future discounts. You know, if you ask them sometimes, like I just asked the company, you know, your prices are higher than this other distributor that I'm working with, and they let me know they have. $50,000 in sales in a year, or in purchases in a year, I can move to tier three, if I get a hundred sales in a year, or in purchases in a year, I can move to tier three, if I get $100,000 in purchase pricing, so I get a difference of those different negotiating than that you can do. So there's always those different negotiating than that you can do. And you know, you can get additional discounts on top of that Buy boxer, for example, you know, Scott, uh, the, one of the owners of buy boxer, he talks about how they routinely are looking for distributors where they can buy truckloads. So entire semi full of products. And so they are negotiating bigger discounts. So you might ask, you know, how is it possible we can even compete with that? Uh, well, you know, you got to find the products that, don't necessarily allow for those bigger discounts there are some companies that will do that discounting some companies that will not and you got to find the products that are profitable even at the smaller volume if you're just getting started and work your way up to the larger volume and as you go up make sure you're asking for those discounts along the way after you build that relationship Now you can start asking, hey, if I start ordering in a larger amount or what amount would it take for me to get an additional discount on this? Or, hey, if I fix some of these things, if you're talking directly with the brand, could I maybe get an additional discount? I think I could get sales from this to this and see what they say. I've worked out agreements with like that. I've got one. Uh, discount, or uh, a couple, actually. Uh, One is additional 5% discount that nobody else is getting because I improve their listings on Amazon. And another one is I am the only one who is allowed to buy direct from the brand. Uh, Everybody else has to buy through the distributor. So, of course, that's going to be a markup. So those are not easy to get. You know, you get those after you build a relationship and they know, like, and trust you. Uh, But you can definitely do that. That opportunity is out there for you. Uh, So hopefully that answered your question on the buy box. Uh, Let's see. MMK. Todd, can you tell us pro and con about wholesale and private label? Um, Yeah, I can touch on it briefly here. I've got a video, if you look on my channel, comparing the difference between retail, arbitrage, wholesale, and private label. So that goes in more depth if you want to research it. Um, But, you know, wholesale, in my opinion, lower risk. Uh, You're buying usually established products or brands. We're buying in small quantities, you know, to do our test orders, maybe 12, 24, 36. Uh, And with private label, you're buying literally maybe 250 or 500 or 1,000 to get the good pricing and bringing it in. Maybe you're shipping it from China or India or Korea or something like that. And so it's taking a long time to get here as well, where with wholesale, we're buying mostly in the USA or Canada or wherever you live. And so you can get that product in a week or two. And so it's a lot smaller time frame as well. It's not as big of a commitment upfront. And we can also look at the keeper graph which i'm going to be doing a deep dive on the keeper graph by the way i'm putting together a webinar that i'm going to be going into a deep dive on the keeper graph it's not going to be here on youtube or anything so watch for a link on that but with the keeper graph we can look at the history of a product and see get a really good idea on the price history and the sales velocity, and know, most likely be able to project into the future what that product is going to do. So to me, wholesale is a lot lower risk. I like Forever Label. I've got my own brand. I'm trying to build that, but I've had multiple failures in that as well, where with wholesale, it's just a lot easier. And if I do have a failure in wholesale, I just clearance it out, move it on to the next product, and I'm good to go. So those are the main pros and cons. Um, Let's see, Brian, maybe I've misread, but do the new holiday requirements ask for 25 seller fulfilled orders before a certain date? Does that mean FBA? Maybe I've misread, but do the new holiday... I am not positive on that, actually, Brian. Um, Seller fulfilled orders. So I'm not sure on the 25, I had not read that, but I'm assuming seller fulfilled orders um, would be a combination of FBA and um, uh, merchant fulfilled. I'm not sure if maybe they're setting a limit for new sellers. They don't want new sellers this holiday season. So you have to have some kind of a track record. Um, That could definitely be the case. Uh, But if it's seller fulfilled, I would think it would mean probably both FBA and merchant fulfilled. But I could be wrong on that. Um, Unless you're doing merchant fulfilled, maybe then they're meaning that. But I am not positive on that, Brian. Sorry. Anthony, does the amount of time you've been an active seller affect your eligibility to win the buy box? What is a good strategy for new sellers to succeed? So it used to be that the answer to that was no. Now, though, it seems that the answer to that is maybe yes. Uh, I was talking about that buy box glitch or feature that Amazon or that has happened on Amazon this past month. One of the opinions out there is that the people who are getting stuck in the buy box and that are staying in the buy box are the sellers with high, a uh, high feedback rating, high seller feedback rating. Um, I've been a strong proponent of getting seller feedback and requesting seller feedback. In the past, I do that. I have my virtual assistant using the Jungle Scout Chrome plugin. Um, Every week, she's going to the orders page and hitting that request feedback button that Jungle Scout puts there for you. And because on every order, there's a button now that says request uh, feedback and review. And Jungle Scout's plugin Automates that. So she just goes in there, sets it to show, you know, 100 products or whatever the max is, hits that button, waits for it to go through, finish the process, goes to the next page, hits it again, next page, hits it again, next page, hits it again. And every week she's doing that for me. So I get usually, um, usually one, two, three, maybe up to five or six new seller feedback every single day. Uh, So it's going to depend on your sales velocity, right? Because I'm doing, uh, last I checked, I think around 5,000 products per month that I'm selling. And I'm getting a handful or less of feedback per day uh, doing that. But I've been doing that since the very beginning. I learned that from my private label days because you always wanted to request reviews and stuff. And along with that would come seller feedback. So I just continued doing that in wholesale. And I highly request everyone else to do that because it does. I mean, it definitely is going to play a role. Right. Why else would Amazon have the seller feedback if you have positive seller feedback and a lot of it, of course, Amazon's going to trust you more. It's just like, you know, you're looking at businesses on. You're trying to find a place to take your car to get it repaired. Do you go to the auto repair shop that has, you know, three reviews and three and a half stars, or do you go to the place that has four and a half, five stars and a thousand reviews? You know, you're probably going to go to the one that has a thousand reviews and four and a half stars over the one that has three reviews, even if it is five stars, because they're more established. Um, So I definitely think it's something that's important and it's probably going to become More important going forward as Amazon matures, government is getting more on Amazon as well. They're pushing them harder to provide better products, stop knockoffs. Um, support their sellers better and things like that. So it just makes sense that they're going to start looking at that stuff more. So now, if you haven't already, I would get the Jungle Scout plugin and start doing that every week or have your virtual assistant doing that every week, requesting that seller feedback. And it also helps to get reviews. I use that as a benefit for uh, trying to get exclusives and stuff. You know, I follow up with uh, buyers And I request reviews for our product. So I've definitely used that when talking with brands. Uh, Let's see. Al says, what person in a big company has the power to decide to make an exclusive agreement? Gotcha. All right. So in a big company, you never know. It's hard to say. Most of my exclusive agreements, uh, all of them. So in a big company... It's going to be a lot harder, um, if not impossible, to get exclusives. Not impossible, uh, but it's going to be harder. You're going to have to talk to probably or e-commerce manager. Some kind of manager level is probably going to have to make that decision. You know, you might even have to go up to like the VP, vice president of sales, or something like that to be able to do that. But you're going to have to be a lot more proven and have a track record probably uh, don't let that stop you from trying you know never uh, if you don't try the answer is always no so you got to at least try uh, it doesn't hurt to ask once you've developed that relationship you don't want to ask upfront right you want to build that relationship for a few months. Get some orders, get some sales, and then maybe address that. Who calls you on the telephone. You probably get spam calls all the time, and you know, hey, we want to sell you a. Thanks, I'm not interested. If somebody called you and said, hey, you have an Amazon business, I'd like to take over all of your advertisement. Uh, you want to sign this exclusive agreement with us? You know, you're you're not going to just take some guy off the street. Uh, who calls you? So keep that in mind. You need to build that relationship. And with a big business, it's going to even be more important. Um, get to know your sales rep and then approach it. You need to get your sales rep on your side. Your sales rep can take that to their manager. You don't want to tell the salesperson what they should tell their manager. You want that the salesperson get you and your salesperson. A meeting with the manager and your sales rep can give you credibility because you built that reputation with them. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well. All right, right here. This question was from Kathy. No one talks about the very necessary but boring topic of taxes. Can you talk about how to handle the collecting and paying of state taxes? I have a resale certificate and filed my taxes which were zero since I have not launched yet, in my home state where my LLC is set up. Do I have to obtain a tax registration number for other states and set this up in seller central? Thanks again for all your time and information. So great question, Kathy. And I appreciate you asking it. And this is an ever changing answer. So it was not too long ago, where yes, we did have to open tax accounts all over the place. You know, Wherever Amazon moved your products to, that is where you then had supposedly nexus and you needed to open up a tax account in that state and file taxes for that. So I use a company called TaxJar to collect all that information and file that, those taxes with the different states. Now I paid for their service um, It's $25 for every filing, and so they would just do it for me. Um, now, a lot has changed as of recently because a lot of states have been passing laws that are requiring Amazon to collect the sales taxes for you. Majority of states have that now. A few big ones, like I think Florida and maybe Texas, don't have it yet. So you still have to file there. So I'm still using TaxJar to file for uh, those states and so you're going to have to check and see where you're getting sales i definitely would recommend a service like TaxJar, and there's other ones out there as well but they're going to collect all the data for you and say okay this is what you should probably pay for taxes in this state and then you have to decide um, remember i'm not an accountant or anything so take this with a grain of salt but then you have to decide do I want to take the time to open up a tax account with that state and pay it, you know, weigh your risks and decide. So if you're making a lot of sales in that state and you have to pay sales taxes, open the account there and start paying the sales taxes. But the good news is the majority of states, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, So, Yeah, it's definitely not a fun topic, but an extremely important topic uh, to make sure you're doing it right, especially if you're going to do this business seriously. So definitely talk with an accountant, uh, check out TaxJar. I believe Avalero is another one out there that you can use that can get all this information for you. So hopefully that answers that question for you. Um, Greetings, Mr. Magoo says. Jumping on this late, is this viable for Canada. I have been researching private label seems to have a lot of risk associated for beginners. Um, yeah, wholesale model is definitely possible in Canada. I've got a lot of people who um, I've been on coaching calls with and a lot of people I've talked to that do this in Canada. So they do it a couple of ways. Either they sell in Canada. Now, you, you just have to understand the sales velocity is a lot lower in Canada because I think Canada is like 30 million people or something like that. And the U.S. is 360 million people. So it's about 10% of the U.S. The products are different in some cases that sell well as well. So there's less of an opportunity in Canada. Uh, But what a lot of Canadians do is that they sell in the Amazon.com marketplace. And you do that using a prep center that can receive your products get everything ready you know make sure you received everything put the labels on put them in bags if necessary and then ship that into amazon for you so that is usually how they're doing it selling in the u.s market same goes for people living in the uk or australia or germany or japan or wherever they happen to be Uh, they're doing that the same way so you can sell really from anywhere in the world um, the tax you know, thing is a little bit different. You got to figure that out. So talk with a t- an accountant to make sure you're doing that properly. But it's definitely possible. Um, and I know people who do well just selling in Canada as well. Uh, you know, the sales are less, but the competition is less as well. So definitely a good opportunity. Uh, and wholesale is a lot less risky than private label. In my opinion, um, especially a lot of the coaches and stuff out there with private label are selling still the idea that you can just find a product on Amazon, make it a little bit different, throw it up, advertise it, launch it, and you're going to be a millionaire, right? But that doesn't really work that well anymore. You really have to build a brand, build an actual business if you're going to do private label. You know, that's what I'm doing with mine. I have a product. It sells decently on Amazon, but I've built a website. I've got hundreds of blog posts on there now that are driving traffic from Google. Uh, I'm out of stock of my product right now. So I threw up a pre-order page and I've pre-ordered thousands of dollars worth of pre-orders in the time that I've had that up. Uh, So you want to build an entire brand if you go the private label route. Uh, With wholesale, we're selling other people's products, so it's their uh, problem to build that brand. But we can help them sell more on Amazon potentially with exclusive agreements and things like that as well. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of direction and help on there. I don't want to discourage you from doing private label. Building a brand is awesome, uh, but wholesale is, uh, my bread and butter where I'm at right now. So Andy Chen says, what would you recommend to do with the ongoing buy box algorithm changes buy box, not rotating as before. Uh, so, you know, again, I watched a video from Larry Lebowski, watch me Amazon. So I don't want to say this is all coming for me because this is, I just watched it. So, um, some of this is fresh in my mind. Um, But he was talking about, you know, that the very possibility that they're trying to clear out uh, warehouses that are overstocked. And so if you have products that are not selling and you need to free up that money, you can't leave it sit there for a little while and see if it comes back. You're going to have to significantly cut your price, you know, maybe 10 Percent or something like that. You're just, you know, not just a few pennies like normal. You're going to have to go a dollar or 50 cents and try to get that buy box back so you can clearance that stuff out, get it into other products. Uh, Another thing that I was contemplating was maybe make a small order of that product that's not selling, create a new shipment, and see if it's going to a different warehouse than previously. And send it in and see if then it starts selling. Maybe it'll go to a warehouse that Amazon wants to sell from. And it's hard to say. There's You could test it out and play with it. Or just clearance them out and get different products that are selling well for you. If you've got products that are selling well, focus in on that. Get the money out of the products that are not moving and put them in the products that are moving And be more cautious adding new products. Um, I have not really had a problem because a lot of the new products that I am bringing on are products that only have FBM sellers. Um, So I've been doing a lot of that lately where I'm the only new FBA seller, so I'm just automatically getting the buy box. So I haven't really seen the problem of new sellers coming on and not getting the buy box too much. Uh, But it definitely could be an issue. So like what we always talk about, start small order a small quantity you know a case 12 24 36 48 whatever the smallest amount they'll let you order and send it in test it and see if you start getting sales on that product or not Uh, we're just going to have to deal with it right now until it either is fixed if it's a bug or we figure out more about it it'd be nice if amazon would come out and say something Um, these are the kind of things that are really irritating when it comes to selling on amazon they are not very good at communicating sometimes Um, and this is just one of those cases where we're just gonna have to wait and see how it plays out for us prod hello thanks for joining us Um, no i'm not going to sing for you i do not have a very good singing voice i don't think anybody would want me to hear me singing um let's see miss cat i rebooted my computer sorry if you answered my question i missed it the ipi and the new limit it, it is it 200 asin units or cubic feet i've read conflicting info on various facebook groups so i am not 100 on the 200 asin limit but i have not seen that yet myself but what i do know for sure is that they're going to limit the quantity Um, So on a lot of my products, the limit I can send in on an ASIN is 200 units, but it's going to be severely limited. You might only be able to send in 5 or 10 or 15, and you're going to have a cap of how many you can actually send in for, you know, because you're already overloaded. That's why they're limiting you, because you have not done a good job on handling your inventory that's currently in Amazon. So there's two things. Either you have old inventory that's not selling, and so you need to take advantage of the free removals to get that out of there. Or you have a lot of listings that you haven't restocked and are out of stock and Amazon thinks you should restock them. So what you're going to want to do, since tonight, I believe, is the cutoff, um, we're recording this on July 31st, go into your inventory performance and go to the restock page, and anything that's out of stock just remove that notice from there and then go into your inventory and disable or close that listing and so from what i've read is by doing that that will help bump your score up and hopefully get you above that 500 threshold and i actually tested this and i did see my score go up it took a day before the score changed so there could have been other factors Um, But I tested it out with some products, and my score did go up some. Um, I think my score is like at 570 or something like that. So if you're below 500, you need to do everything you can right now to get that up before the cutoff and so that you can send in enough products. Because otherwise, who knows what else they might do if your IPI score is not good. Maybe they're not going to give you the buy box you know, if your IPI score is low because you're not managing your business properly the way that Amazon wants you managing it. So do whatever you can to get that fixed. Hopefully that answers that question for you. Anthony says, do you anticipate it taking some time for new sellers to make money due to the buy box glitch or can new sellers be successfully successful immediately? Um, You know, it depends on the ASIN. Not every ASIN is having this buy box, you know, glitch or feature or whatever it ends up being here. So you're going to have to test small orders, like I mentioned, and see what happens when you get that product in there. Uh, You know, I wouldn't let this hold you back. You know, you're making those small orders anyways. So still move forward. I mean, you're going to kick yourself six months from now. Uh, if you didn't take action now. So don't let this buy box issue stop you from getting started if you're just starting. Um, Just use caution. Make those small orders, send them in, see how it goes. If they sell, then reorder more. If they don't sell, clearance them out, get your money back and try a different product and save that product for the future because eventually, hopefully this will be sorted out. And you'll be able to get rotated back in. Let's see. Ahmed, my question about selling wholesale internationally. Do you sell globally? What do you think of it? And do you recommend a specific market? So I do sell in Canada and a little bit in Mexico. Um, I actually have product in Canada, Mexico. I just utilize the remote fulfillment service that Amazon provides for North America. And I get some sales from that there uh so you know if you're in the US i would recommend testing out canada and see how it goes and see if you can get some sales there uh if you're whatever country you're in i would start there though so if you're in the uk or you're in um you know saudi arabia or you're in australia or you're in japan start in that local market get your feet wet, learn it, and then move to other markets. Obviously, the U.S. is the biggest market for Amazon, but they're growing and moving into a lot of different places. So test out the markets. That's pretty much what you have to do with everything and see how it goes. Um, and now with the uh, the Brexit thing with United Kingdom, the whole European uh, issue is happening where you're not going to be able to fulfill from the UK to the rest of Europe like you were before unless they come up with some agreements. So um, it's an ever changing platform. You got to keep that in mind. You're always have to be learning. Um, you know, I can teach anybody how to sell on Amazon, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful if you don't have a entrepreneurial mindset where you're always learning you're always gaining new knowledge, you're always trying new things, Uh, always growing as a person, you know, expanding your mind, expanding your knowledge and things like that. Uh, You always have to be doing that regardless of what business that you're in. All right, let's see. Timothy says, sorry, can you explain the rotation of the buy box again with FBA and FBM? It glitched bad. Um, yeah, so FBA, FBM, uh, FBA pretty much always gets the buy box over FBM, except for a little while FBM was getting it over the top of FBA, um, because Amazon was overloaded. So, and that could happen again in the future. We'll see what happens for fourth quarter as sales ramp up. Um, but typically FBA gets the buy box over FBM unless FBM is like 10% or more, uh, lower price than FBA, um, and then price is important. You know, if if both sellers are FBA, uh, price is going to play a factor. Um, previously, if you undercut by like a penny, you'd get the buy box. Now it's not rotating as much. Right now. Uh, seller feedback is really important as well. If your seller feedback is below like 80, 85% positive, that can start removing you from the buy box as well. So you want to increase the feedback. And one of the things that we've heard about this, uh, new buy box issue is that potentially it's skewing towards people who have a lot of feedback and a lot of positive feedback because Amazon can then be more assured That you are a good seller so uh, lots of issues or or lots of things that go into the buy box but those are the main main things for it let's see Ahmed says for the U.S. market what do you consider to is too many sellers on specific products in other words if more than three or four sellers Um, so it's not really the number of sellers but the number of sales you're going to get So whatever tool you're using to guesstimate sales, if it's Jungle Scout and Jungle Scout says that the listing is getting 200 sales, you know, and there are nine other sellers on the listing, you're going to be the 10th. That means you might get around 20 sales per month. So what's your profit on that? If you're making $10 profit per item, that's $200 profit per month. Is it worth the effort for you to send in that product at $200 profit? You know, everybody's going to be different. If you're a big seller, it might not be. If you're a small seller just getting started, you probably would be happy with that. Um, So you need to focus on that more than the number of sellers is the number of sales that you will potentially get of that product every month. Keeping in mind that the the number of sellers will fluctuate. Um, It trends up usually, but sometimes it will go down as well. So you got to keep that in mind also. All right. Um, is there a book that you recommend for people to read while they are building their wholesale business, maybe for help to build confidence when speaking over the phone? Um, so there are no like really good Amazon books. Uh, the For speaking over the phone, you really just want to read some of the top sales books. So if you go to Amazon and search for sales books or, Uh, phone sales, and just look at the top-rated books, the best-selling books, and start reading those. Um, I just did one recently, and I'm forgetting the name of it. Uh, Let me see if I can pull it up here quick while I'm going over it. But I interviewed uh, about the book. But, yeah, you just need to do some reading and then get testing and actually doing it. Nothing beats experience. You can read a million books, but nothing is going to beat experience. So Frank Soma was the sales professional that I interviewed and his book was B2B is really P2B. So the letter B, the number two, the letter B is really p to p and that stands for business-to-business business, is really person-to-person. Person. Um, that book was really good. I liked it a lot, so I definitely recommend that one. Uh, check that one out, but also look at some of the other top sales books that are out there. Um, if you go to entrepreneuradventure.com and click on resources, I've got some other books at the bottom of that page as well that I have found really helpful. Um, some of them are more like mental. Books like mindset and things like that, um, but you can check those out also uh, if you're looking for some books to read. All right, guys. So we're coming up on where I need to cut this off here. Uh, I actually have product in the back. My uh, my uh, father-in-law is helping me prep some product back there, so I need to get back there. So we're going to cut it off here at uh, the question that andy Chen just asked so once i get to there we will be done i won't be taking any more uh, let's see mr Magoo. not sure if you have a course or not what resources slash courses would you recommend for a beginner i have everything set up including u.s bank accounts professional accounts incorporated etc um, so YouTube is a really good option for finding free content. Um, there's a lot of good free content out there. Um, I am going to be coming out with a webinar, as I talked about earlier, for analyzing a listing and analyzing the keepograph Graph in depth to determine if a product is um worth buying so you can be more confident in buying it where we check out the history and kind of project that into the future so if you're interested in that stay tuned make sure you're on my email list you can sign up for that on Um, and i'll post a link in the the video here as well when i have that webinar coming out um, but you can definitely check that out uh larry lebowski Watch Me Amazon has a really good course, the Wholesale Academy. It is a couple thousand dollars, so it's definitely not cheap, but there's a lot of really good content in there. I bought that when that comes out because you don't know what you don't know, and I learned a lot of really good info from that. Um, But otherwise, you know, there's a lot of other FBA and Amazon gurus and stuff out there. That I've interviewed. So go through some of the interviews like Mommy Income if you're looking at bundles and things like that. Um, But otherwise, just stay tuned. I'm going to be coming out with some stuff very shortly uh, that you guys will be able to purchase to help you do better in Amazon and wholesale and things like that. So stay tuned for that as well. Um, Anthony says, I appreciate all your advice. I appreciate you for watching, Anthony. Um, Ahmed says, friend of mine has a brand has local stores in our state and it's successful, but knows nothing about Amazon and asked to do sell, uh, asked me to sell it for him on Amazon, but it's in a high competition product. Should I, um, uh, I don't know if I can answer that question for you. It's kind of up to you. You know, how much work is your friend willing to put into it and how much is he willing to pay you for doing it? Um, If he's able to pay you, you know, uh, an amount for doing it, maybe you can come to an agreement on that. Or if you see a potential in it and you think you can get it selling, maybe you can come to an agreement on a percentage of profits. You know, if you split profits on Amazon or something like that, you just have to make sure it's going to be worth your time. I know you said it's your friend and you always want to help your friends and stuff like that, but you have to make sure it's worth your time and effort, because if you're doing that for him, you're not going to be able to be able to do other things. So you'll have to come to an agreement. I would recommend having some kind of partnership agreement in place, even though you are friends, you know, crazy things have happened and business can cause and money in general can cause a lot of friction and issues. So you want to have everything clear and in place exactly what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, how much you're going to get paid for doing it so everyone knows exactly what's going on. There's no surprises and nobody can get upset or on anything. And if anybody does get upset, you can say, well, this is what we agreed to. This is what's going on. That's why I did it. Um, but, you know, I can't answer that for you. You're going to have to figure that out. But analyze it and figure out if it's an opportunity that makes sense for you chris says do you ask for discounts on your first order on a new account or do you buy at normal price and try to profit so i always ask uh pretty much always uh, occasionally if it's a brand that i am wanting to improve the listings and i'm going to be the only fba seller i don't ask for a discount up front But otherwise, usually I ask it very passively, like, hey, do you have any uh, order quantities that allow me to get additional discounts on top of the price on your price sheet and see what they say? Um, You don't want to push really hard up front, but it's worth asking kind of in passing almost. You know, like I'll get the wholesale list. I'll analyze it and then I'll ask, you know, do you guys have any price levels that I can get additional discounts or order quantities that I can get additional discounts on it? Um, I'll even go through the whole list and maybe do like a 20% off or whatever or find the products that are selling well that I potentially want to order. How many I think I can order per month and then say, this is what I'd like to order. What's the best pricing you can give me on an order of this size and see what they say? Um, it's normal in wholesale to ask for discounts, especially from distributors and bigger brands. So they're, they're kind of expecting that. Um, so it's okay to ask, you know, just don't push really hard until you've had, you've built that relationship out. Uh, let's see. Chris asks again, do you find most of your profitable items from distributors or brands? Both. Um, some of my biggest orders are from distributors and some of my biggest orders are from brands. Typically my brand orders are smaller than my distributor orders. Um, but it varies. So it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, let's see. And the final question here from Andy, how is your warehouse going? What was the biggest challenge finding your current warehouse? Um, so, so far so good. Uh, it's going well. I'm starting to get some processes in place. My software restock Pro, which is really good for when I had the prep center because they, they have really good like uh, forecasting and ability to track all your inventory and syncs with Amazon and everything. So that part's really good. but they're really lacking in the warehouse management side of it. so I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, looking through other software, seeing if I need to switch or what. Um, but we've got a nice workflow going down. Uh, you know, the products come in, I receive them in, and then the uh, they get prepped, go on the shelves. And once a week, usually, we're doing a big shipment into Amazon and sending it all in. Uh, so, so far, so good. In terms of finding it, um, it wasn't too bad. You know, I just used... Uh, what website was it there? Uh, Actually, I found the most on our local classified website. Um, So here, that's ksl.com for in the Utah area. Uh, I found a lot of really good ones on there. Uh, Otherwise, there's a business website, uh, warehouse space. Let me just search that. It should be one of the top results. Uh, LoopNet, l-o-o-p-net.com found a bunch on there and I just went and visited them and then got a hold of the person who was renting it, uh, checked them out, went inside, see if it worked for me. If it did, uh, after I found a few, then I negotiated the rent. I got a hundred dollar discount off of what they were asking for it on the rent and just did that it worked pretty smoothly i had a lot of opportunities here in the provo utah area where i live Uh, there's a lot of warehouse space uh, and with everything going on right now you probably have a better opportunity to even get a discount from the rent that they're asking for as well so overall good i like being in the warehouse Uh, Because I get to see more of my products. Everything before was going to the prep center, which is fine. If you want to do that model, it worked for me for a long time. Um, But getting the products in my hands, being able to maybe take new pictures of them, see them, um, it just seems more real for me. And I've also found new products because of that. I've actually had some products shipped to me by mistake from a distributor and added those to my inventory. Uh, and it's more easy for me to do the tests Uh, i can send them to the warehouse check out the products and you know see what kind of opportunities there is uh so far so good all right so that is about it that wraps up this live i really appreciate you guys out there listening and supporting me in this entrepreneur adventure that we're all in and and helping me grow the channel, share it. I would really appreciate you guys sharing this out to anyone that you think is interested in this. Share the podcast, whatever the case may be. Uh, but thank you for being a part of my adventure that I've got going on here and helping me grow it. Uh, again, stay tuned for that Keepa uh, webinar that I'm going to be doing. I think you guys would all get a lot of uh, information out of that. So if you're not on the... Uh, email list already head on over right now to entrepreneuradventure.com if you scroll to the bottom of the page there's a little form you can jump on that email list and you will be sure to get notified when that comes out because the way I'm going to be doing that is I'm going to be doing the live stream of the webinar for free but then it's going to become a little like paid micro course so you're going to want to be on the live stream for that Uh, Again, appreciate everybody out there for everything entrepreneuradventure.com. And other than that, Todd Welch signing off. Happy selling, everybody. This has been another episode of the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. Thanks for listening, fellow entrepreneur. And always remember, success is yours if you take it.